All right, gonna call up Vic Martino. Hello. Hey, Vic, how's it going? What's up, buddy? Not much. How are you? Ah, you know, what could you say? What's this madness? It's like I guess I'm okay. Is anybody okay these days? I don't know. What the is going on here this has to come to an end sometime soon because so many people going out of business and now the restaurants if they don't open up soon man they're all going to be going out of business because now winter's coming they can't be having uh outdoor you know dining they got to go inside yeah movie theaters everything uh this is really now they got an excuse not to use extras anymore right you know they're going to computerize the extras like they've been wanting to do but the union was stopping them from doing that now they got a good excuse yeah. Terrible. Yeah, so we're going to probably have to wait till I get a better hold of a better phone, man. Um, yeah, it's all right. I mean, we can just talk like this for a little bit, just sort of as like a informal workshop kind of thing. Oh, is it? A, is it? Are you doing the podcast now? Well, I've, I have the equipment set up, but I've, I've been recording since you picked up. I hope you don't mind <laughs> me. <laughs> you sneaky bastard. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so listen, what do you do? Uh, first, I want to know, how does this work? I mean, you do it from home and then you just air it? How do you? How does it air? I know a lot of people have podcasts these days. Yeah, you're right. A lot of people do have podcasts for a lot of, a lot of different niche interests. I guess if you could do it from home, you know, I guess that makes more people do it. Yeah, exactly. It's easy. And it's really about if you have an audience, you know, enough people that are interested in the thing that you're discussing. Yeah. So what would we discuss? This is like a test run. This is a a podcast, but not really a podcast, but uh, a podcast that's not a podcast. It's an exploratory pilot. Yeah, okay, that's a good word. Yeah. An exploratory uh, podcast pilot. So, like, what did what would we talk about? You know, I, I always feel funny talking about myself. It just feels weird. It feels like you're bragging or whatever. It just, I, yeah. That's why actors have managers and agents. They do the talking for us. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, well, I guess, you know, you're the questionnaire. Whatever you would want to talk about, I guess you would throw questions at me and I would answer. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, pretty much seems like the, the format that we would uh, would work our way to. So, uh, what would, like, uh, for instance... Uh, well, let me uh, share. I guess let me share with you the, basically the idea for it came when you sent when you sent me that Regis photo. Oh yeah, well that's what I guess got the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah, and I put it on Instagram, and I saw so many people reacted to it. And I've known you for at least five, six years now, and I've never once remember you mentioning hanging out with Regis. Yeah, I don't talk about myself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, you're you're a modest man. You know, you're a humble. Yeah, I am. I mean, it's in the past. I mean, it's you know. Like the '90s were when I was pretty much uh, had a good career going. Yeah, and that was just one of the gigs I had, Tavern on the Green. And after you know he was Regis Philbin happened to be in the audience, and after the gig, he invited me to sit down at his table with his wife and the producer. And then the next day, I heard I didn't see it because I didn't watch the show. Sorry, Regis, but the next day I was told by friends, you know, hey, Regis was talking about you on his show. You know, you didn't have me on as a guest because I wasn't a real bona fide celebrity, you know. Right. And it was a talk show with Kathy Lee. But he was talking about me, which, you know, he, he was a really nice guy. And I, and I I was, you know, I was like, wow, man, I wish I would have seen it. But I didn't even know he was going to do that. He didn't tell me. We had dinner together and it was, uh, 
his wife and his producer and and he invited me. I was the only one that wasn't associated with the show at the table. Nice. I guess he liked my act. But yeah, during the nineties I was performing a lot of a lot of gigs. I worked uh Atlantic City. I used to be a regular at the Sands and then I worked the showboat. Uh I actually uh Trump Castle, one of the Trump owned casinos, uh the one that was off the strip. I don't know if that's the castle or he also had Trump Marina. I forget which one it was. Uh, these things become a big blur. But uh, and then there was the uh, Foxwoods, Turning Stone, Mohegan Sun. You know, back and forth. I used to work these places. And then Vegas, I did the uh, the Flamingo Hilton in Ve- Las Vegas and then Laughlin, Nevada. So I was keeping busy then. And what was your act, basically? I used to do comedy and sing, you know, I was, uh, I used to, I didn't call myself a comedian or a singer. I called myself Vic Martino entertainer extraordinaire. Cause I was an entertainer. I did, I sang and did comedy. I didn't do one without the other, but, uh, I, you know, I say that jokingly when I said entertainer extraordinaire, a friend of mine actually gave me that label. Shout out to Moria Guman. I met him when he had a talk show. He had me on and he says, Oh, you're an actor. You're a singer. Comedian, you're an entertainer extraordinaire. That's what you are. So I said, all right, I'll go with that. <laughs> Mr. Showbiz. Nice. Yeah, I had a good live career. I never broke the acting nut, which is what it, really what I wanted to do, film and TV. But I never got uh, I never got a real break with that, the legitimate end of show business as far as, you know, Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, doing uh, TV and movies. I mean, I've, I've done TV and movies, but nothing... Uh, you know, nothing, low budget movies and stuff like that. That I don't know where the hell they wound up on DVD or well, video at the time, then DVD. But, uh, so mostly my career consisted of uh, performing live in front of it, which I love performing live because I love that live audience. The feeling when you do a good show and the audience loves what you, what you've done. There's no better feeling. I, I describe it as like, I'm this, uh, great lover and I'm having sex and I'm making the whole, everybody come at once. That's what it feels like. So it's very addictive. And then working on TV and movie sets, uh, movie sets especially, was kind of boring because, you know, there's no audience, you do a lot of waiting around. So I didn't really, uh, uh, I did want it. I had the desire for it, but I, I didn't, uh, you know, after doing what I was doing and then to put myself through that, you know, with callbacks and stuff like that, it just uh, didn't entice me. Uh, I said, ah, I got my career. I don't need TV and movies. But, uh, you know, I wish I would have gave it a better try, let's say. Because that's, you know, the thing about performing live is when it's over, it's over. And film and TV, you got your work is there. It's uh, it's everlasting. You, I mean, the bad part of, of that is if you do a bad job, yeah, then, then you can't, can't do it over. But it's there, you know. And uh, it's something you could leave as a legacy, whereas when you do live shows, well, when it's like I said, when it's over, it's over. You had to be you had to be there. But I got good memories and I got a lot of good pictures like that one with Regis. Who would you say is one of your uh, top celebrities that you got to meet when you were working as a lounge singer? Oh, uh, a lot of celebrities I grew up with. Uh, te- television guys like baby boomer guys like uh, you know Bob Denver Gilligan Gilligan's Island uh, Frank Gorshin uh, uh, the Riddler on Batman uh, uh, oh I'm trying to let me uh, 
I don't know if you know Bill Kirkenbauer, uh, Jimmy Walker, you know, Dynamite. Uh, a lot of those TV sitcom guys used to work at Atlantic City. You know, they would do like sign autographs and stuff and and they would be there. Mickey Rooney, an old an old time uh, star and uh, uh, Pat Cooper, a comedian. Uh, There's quite a few. I'd have to look through my pictures to remember most of them. Mm. Like I said, those days are all one big blur now, you know, it's... It wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, you know, I don't like talking about the past. I mean, I've done what I've done, and I had a good time doing it. It was fun while it lasted. I basically performed from, uh, let's see, well, the '90s is when I started really doing good. I started working the uh, hotel casinos, Atlantic City, Vegas, whatever. Like starting in '95 up until uh, for about five years. But I worked a lot, you know, New York, a lot of the New York venues. We had a lot then, which we don't have. So, Unfortunately, sadly, they're they're no no longer uh, New York isn't what it was as far as live entertainment. Used to have so many cabarets and uh, showrooms, comedy clubs. You just don't have it anymore. Not like it was where you could actually perform at, and you had places to go and test your. You know, if you had a gig, you could go to a place to an open mic, and they let you on. You test your material, make sure it was good. The audience was responding. You know, and most of the money was in the corporate gigs. But uh, what was I going to say? I'm talking so much now for a guy that doesn't want to talk. Oh, yeah. Um, so I worked basically, I, I called it quits uh, for the most part in uh, my last gig, official gig, was uh, 2011. Uh, actually, the New Year's Eve, you know, going on uh, 2012. Because we always worked, if you were a good performer, you always worked New Year's Eve. I always worked New Year's Eve. And that was the last one. I, I just, I lost the desire. You know, I lost a lot of members of my family, my loved ones, and just didn't seem to mean anything anymore. And when you lose the desire, you know, that's it. So I basically, you know, said, all right, I had a good career. and But then, uh, when I met you, when we did the documentary film... That started uh, spiking my interest in performing again. What was this? 2017, uh, the documentary film we did, because it was in the 2017 uh, Williamsburg Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So I started getting a taste of, you know, being in public again. And and uh, I made a couple of CDs because I never really recorded. You know, I wasn't a recording artist. I, I just performed live. And a guy once said to me, he said, uh, one of the bookers who used to book me said, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're, uh, one of the best, uh, performers I've ever booked, uh, including, you know, name performers. He said, but you'll never be a recording artist. You know, and he was right because, you know, at the time, the kind of music I was doing a lot of that, you know, like Sinatra and all that kind of stuff, it wasn't really in vogue. And, uh, he said, you know, you, you gotta be seen live to be appreciated because you're also funny. And you're not just a singer. So just out of vanity, I decided to make a couple of CDs with uh, a very good, uh, uh, he's now a friend of mine, Jason Simonic. You met him. You met Jason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's a very good recorder. Uh, he could record. He's a very good. So we recorded a couple of CDs. One was I recorded in his studio. And the other one was just like I, I called it a bonus a bonus track, a bonus CD that I gave. These I gave away for it. I had no intention of making money with them. It was just a vanity project, and I would give them away as gifts. And I did the one recording in his studio, and the one we got from uh, when I retired from show business, I started working just like on weekends doing security in my neighborhood. 
So the place I used to work had a karaoke night when and I recorded a CD there, you know, with a live audience because I was always I always wondered how I would do in front of millennials. This is all going to go somewhere. Um, I know it might be boring right now, but it's going to lead somewhere. So when I did the karaoke, I said, I wonder how, you know, this was a Tuesday night. Not that I only work weekends. So these were, this was a crowd that didn't know me, didn't know I worked there. A young crowd and a lot of millennials. And I, I did my act, you know, and they, they went crazy. They loved it. It was like, they would come up to me. Whoa, that was a great song. What was that? I never heard that. So, you know, I'm serious. People uh, like, I felt like I was in Atlantic city again. And they were coming up to me taking pictures, and they thought, oh, I got to get back into performing. So when I made the CDs, I, like I said, they were just a vanity project. And, and this was, uh, uh, well, I met you in two, when, when did we meet? We met at the Nighthawk when I was in security at the Nighthawk Theater. Yeah, I think it was. You what year that was? I think it was 20, 2015 around. Okay, 2015. So, yeah, and then the documentary, and then we entered it two. 2017 so this had to be like 2017 2018 maybe 2017 yeah okay so anyway i got a good response from the the crowd when i did the karaoke thing and then we made the cds and i gave them away free and uh some people that i had gave the cds to gave them to other people i guess or gave them to places where like a recreation place and i got gigs from them and I, and I wasn't even that satisfied with them. I thought I could have done a lot better. And I was a little rusty. I haven't, I haven't uh, performed in a while. And I made the CDs, like I said, just as a vanity thing. And I learned, you know, I uh, that was my first recording session. So I could have done a lot better. I was very, I didn't really, I wasn't comfortable because I didn't have a live audience or anything. And I had to stay stationary. I couldn't move, you know, in the, in the little recording studio. But apparently they were better than I thought because I actually got gig at, gigs out of them. I was getting work, singing jobs. So that got me out of retirement. Then, unfortunately, this coronavirus uh, hit and that put a stop to all that. But hopefully when this is over with, you know, I'll get back in the groove again. Wait, what are some of the gigs that you booked recently? Well, they were just they're just like, you know, uh, private things, uh, weddings and stuff like that. And there was a a recreation home. Uh, one, I got one of uh, uh, the CD. I got a wedding gig, somebody's wedding. And then I got a, uh, and then it was actually from where I work. Uh, Cause I work, uh, I was working at a gay bar. I actually performed at a gay wedding and, uh, you know, um, recreation home, just a handful of gigs. Uh, it, it wasn't uh, that many, but you know, it started getting me back. I started getting the desire back. So, uh, who knows when this is all over with, I might be out there again. And, uh, Vic Martino makes a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> what was like one of your most, uh, requested songs? Uh, well, uh, let's see. Well, it's not really requested. I just do, I know what I'm going to do before I get there and I just do it. But a lot of people like, uh, oh, a real cloud, uh, crowd pleaser is, uh, when I do uh, New York, New York. Oh, they love that. They go crazy for that song. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. That always gets them. Hell yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, you've seen me perform. You've been, actually, you recorded a couple of my uh performances you were at my friend shay's 
Jason Samonic, I mentioned, the recording, uh, the guy, the recording guy, his girlfriend is a singer and she has a cabaret, the major minor cabaret. And we were there a few times and I would get up and sing there. Yeah. So that's uh, little by little, uh, I started getting the desire back. Oh, this is what I was trying to get at. This is what I wanted to tell you. When I was auditioning, I had auditioned for this uh, casting director called Gail Keller. And I auditioned for the, at the time, the Louis CK show. It was a few years ago. And he had his, you know, his own show. And I, I, I read for a part, you know, I usually play detectives or gangsters or comedy, that kind of thing. But uh, the serious roles, I'm usually either a detective or a gangster. So in this, in this read, I don't know if it was an, a gangster. It was like a wannabe gangster or somebody, some kind of tough guy. And he was going to, he wanted Louis CK killed because, uh, he felt Louis CK was, uh, 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 hitting on his girl or flirting with his girl. Yeah. I don't know the whole script. I just read my part, but it was a good lengthy, you know, chunk of dialogue. And when I got finished, Gail Keller said to me, and I'm not making this up. There's a quote, you're great. How come I don't know who you are? Oh, wow. I said, so how do you answer that? I want to say, well, give me the part. I'll, I'll take you to lunch. You'll get to know me. Yeah. You know, but that goes to show you it's who you know. You got to keep making the rounds of the auditions and they get to know you because it's a small slew, you know, casting directors uh, and the, the actors that make the rounds auditioning and then they get to know you, you know. So I wasn't known because I wasn't doing that many auditions. You know, I wasn't making those rounds. So she said that, and I was like, oh, wow, you know, that was, I mean, I didn't know what to say. But I made up my mind right then and there. If I didn't get that part, I was calling it quits. I mean, what other job? Somebody says, you're great, and you don't get the job. Yeah. And that's how rough acting is. It's a lot of other factors go into it, This, you know, the legit straight acting. So I didn't get that part, and so I said, that's it. I'm done with that, with the acting. But... A friend of mine, his name is uh, Dan Vitale. He used to be on Saturday Night Live. You might not know him uh, because he didn't. He wasn't on long. Unfortunately, he had a bad cocaine problem that got in his way of his career, and he didn't. He wasn't on there long. But he was a friend of Louis C.K. and he said to me, "Oh, don't feel bad about not getting the part because Louis likes to give those kind of parts to his friends." Well, that didn't make me feel any better. Yeah, you know. So that's why I couldn't deal with all the. Excuse my language, but bullshit that goes with the acting. Right. Sometimes they have to hold auditions. They like they already know who they're going to book, but they just have to hold auditions to yeah, make it exactly. seem like it's right. fair. Yeah. It's a lot of you know. That's why she said, "How come I don't know you?" A lot of it is who you know. You got to know the right people. Yeah. But you get to know them. It takes a few years if you keep making the rounds auditioning which I didn't do, you know, and then you get the casting directors get to know you. And then eventually they'll probably cast you in things. Right. But it's a long process, you know, and it, it just, uh, I, I, uh, didn't have the patience for all the things you had to put up with. So, mm. uh, I just said, ah, I probably don't want it that bad. Cause if I did, I guess I would have done what I had to do. Yeah. You know, you can have all the talent in the world. It doesn't mean you're going to get a break or you're going to get, you know, the opportunities. Right. So I had my, you know, I had my live venues and I enjoyed doing that and I had a, a good run. And, uh, if you go on Facebook, you could see all my photo albums. 
anybody listening who says, who is this guy? Yeah. Well, you can find out very easily by going to Facebook and, and, uh, Instagram and, uh, YouTube. I have my own YouTube channel, Vic Martino, all the videos are there. And I also have a now, now I have a new Vic Martino official channel where all the recordings are. So I, uh, I guess I'm an online celebrity. Yeah, at we, least in my own, at least a legend in my own mind. No, uh, I was just a lucky guy for a while. I was able to work at something I love doing. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say some of your videos that you have have some pretty good view- viewership. There's like a lot of positive comments. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, my acting reel, uh, you know, uh, I was on YouTube, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when I first put up a few things. And my acting reel at the time, and my friend said, the same guy called me Entertainer Extraordinaire Mora and said to me, Vic, how does your acting reel get all these views, these hits? It's just an acting demo. Most people's demos, they get like 20, maybe 50, their friends watch, but you're getting all these hits. Mm. Well, I think it was because, I, oh, uh, one of the things I did was I was on The Sopranos, a small part, but I really parlayed that. And when I got on YouTube and I had my, I, my Soprano scene, was I, I put my soprano scene up on YouTube. I think that's what got me a lot of views and hits because uh, that's how my acting demo got a lot of views because they saw Vic Martino from The Sopranos and I guess they got interested in me and that made them watch my other videos because there were a lot of Sopranos fans at the time and still are, I guess. So that's why a lot of my videos that I put up, I always put in the subject, Vic Martino from The Sopranos. Because I figure that's what's getting people's attention. I don't know if it still does, you know, 2020. But uh, I think that's what made a lot of people watch a lot of my videos. Because I was on The Sopranos and then they started watching all my other videos as well. I I'm, I don't know. I'm guessing. I, I, I don't know what are the reason it could have been that I've gotten so many views. Would you say that your Would you say say that your role in The Sopranos was like the highlight of your uh, acting career? Uh, I guess, yeah, in, in a way. I mean, it really was a small part, like an under five, and I added an extra line of dialogue there that the director liked, and he had me keep it in. But uh, yeah, I guess that's the most legit thing, the most known thing, uh, where people, you know, got people interested in, in watching, and and I got a lot of gigs out of that as well because what I did when I first got on The Sopranos this was 2004 uh, you know I used to perform live so I knew a lot of the bookers and all that and they when they heard I was on The Sopranos they said we could book you in, in gigs as the character you played on The Sopranos but I had to really uh, pimp him out so to speak because I played a guy that ran a whorehouse so I made him into a character that I could actually perform by comedy and, and sing. And I wore a red jacket, gold chain, sunglasses. And I got a lot of gigs from just because I was on The Sopranos. People would have me at their parties and uh, at affairs and say, oh, this is Muzzy Nardo from The Sopranos. And I would just kind of like be the life of the party. And those I was getting those kind of gigs out of just being on the show for a few minutes for not even a while, like a minute, you know, I had one scene, but I really made that work for me as far as I got extra live gigs from it, performing it like I would do when I was singing and uh, uh, doing comedy. But now they would 
booked me as Mozzinardo from The Sopranos. So I, I really made it work for me for a good few years there. Even though I was only on that one time, and it was, you know, a short time, short scene. Yeah. But The Sopranos carried so much weight that people, you know, would make a big deal out of it. Now, could you imagine one of the stars, the glory they were getting out of that show when I just, you know, had a small part and I was able to do what I did with that one little role? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I got a lot of good videos there. That, the, the Sopranos videos up there, if I may just give a little plug here. Of course, our documentary. Yes. Uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, then and now, my mother and our friends. And Craig here, the gentleman here talking to me, was the editor and producer of the videos, there, the documentaries. We did the uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, then and now, my mother and our friends. There's actually three versions. The, the 20-minute version, that was at the uh, 2017 uh, film festival, mm -hmm. Williamsburg Film Festival. Then there's a bonus feature one that's 40 minutes. And then Craig did one on his own there. He took uh, extra scenes and put in uh, that 60 minutes because we tried to enter it the following year at the 2018 film festival. But instead of the short film category, we were going to enter it in the feature film category, but they didn't accept it for that for that year. But that's also on YouTube. And then there's that documentary about Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Here goes the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And uh, two of my proudest acting reels, I, I think my uh, acting videos that I have online one is called Coach, and I really had to go to a dark place for that. I was exhausted after I did it because I played a guy who uh, wasn't the usual detective or gangster. It was a guy who had a, a, a Pop Warner. You know what that is? Uh, it's like Little League? Yeah, a little, like a little uh, football team. Little, you know, Little League football team. They call it Pop Warner. Pop Warner football team, a league. And he was accused of molesting some of the kids on the team. And the video is me being confronted by one of the guys. Now he's grown up. He confronts me about molesting him. Oh, wow. Now, I don't want to say the ending or nothing, but yeah, it's very heavy, very heavy acting. And Corey Duval was the other actor in it. And he did a great job as well. And then the other video uh, that I'm proud of is, uh, it's called, uh, these are both short, you know, short films is called Keep Calm and Carry On, where I play the gang a gangster. But it's very good. I think it's... Uh, uh, oh, let me give a little credit here. The uh, coach was directed by uh, John Kelly. And this one, Keep Calm and Carry On, is directed by Jason Munro. And they're both probably the best acting I've ever done. Those two uh, short films. And then I have a feature film where I play a detective. One of those low-budget horror films... On the trail of the witch doctor, but uh, it's uh, that film is in a category all its own. <laughs> it's a it's a special film. Yes, it's one of those you know low budget horror films with a lot of naked women running around and people spitting up blood. And, but I think my performance is I'm proud of my performance in that as the detective. So uh, there you go. Yeah, you now, you you hold it together. Listening to this podcast, hopefully there are. I know you know how to. You're very good at uh, posting my... Yeah. By the way, Craig here, the Craig Freeman that I'm speaking with, has got my. he's in charge of my Instagram page. He does a great job on that. As he said, the picture with me and Regis Philbin having dinner, and one day got over 100, 100 uh, views. So Craig, Craig is very good to have as a producer and uh, 
Craig is one of the reasons I basically came out of retirement. Nice. So blame it on Craig. It's all his fault. <laughs> yeah, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get you out there. Hey, and let's not forget Vic's kid with uh, your friend Ross. Ross Belsky, yeah. There's still... Ross Belsky. We did these videos. Vic's kid, very funny. A series of videos that uh, I put them on my YouTube channel. And Ross has them on his, and they're on Instagram. They're all over the place. So those are very funny. I know everybody that sees them really enjoys them. Yeah, that's a good time. And they're called Vic's Kid. And Craig did the filming and produced those. And uh, Ross, I want to give a shout-out to a, a very good, young, up-and-coming, promising comedian. Definitely. Ross Belsky. Check him out. Yeah. And check out my friend Michael Mazio, who you better know as Marco Polo in the Geico commercial. Oh, you won't believe how people go crazy over that. I was hanging out with Mike, you know, because we're friends. And we went to see an off-Broadway show, way off-Broadway. It was in uh, um, uh, Jersey, <laughs> the Paper Mill Theater, oh, wow. Milburn, New Jersey. It was the Honeymooners musical. So before we went to the show, this was before this coronavirus before we went to see the show, we went and stopped in a bar. And Mike's a modest guy like me, you know. He doesn't like to brag about anything. But, you know, his Geico commercial where he plays Marco Polo, I mean, it ran so many times. Uh, so many people saw it. So I was, you know, just for the hell of it, I said to everybody, there, hey, you know who I'm with? That, you see that guy over there? That's Marco Polo from the Geico commercial. The whole restaurant, the whole, the whole bar went over. They went nuts. They were asking for his autograph. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. He's the Marco Polo guy. And one time he came to see a show of mine and, uh, I was performing and uh, he was in the audience. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I have a special guest in the audience. Mike Mazio, better known as the Marco Polo guy from the Geico commercial. And the same thing happened. Everybody ran. I said, hey, get back here. It's my show. What about mm. me? <laughs> <laughs> my, by the way, my Sopranos episode was titled Marco Polo. Kismet. It was the, uh, yeah, it was the um, the fifth season the eighth episode of the fifth season, and it's titled Marco Polo. So you could check that out as well if you'd like. They say the second season and the fifth season were the two best seasons of The Sopranos. Yeah. I like to think the fifth season was one of them because I was on it. No, of course, that had nothing to do with it. But it just happened that the second season and the fifth season, that's the one I was on, the fifth season, were the two best Sopranos uh, seasons. You know, I've, uh, just I'm watching through it for the first time ever. Uh, oh, the Sopranos shows? Yeah, yeah, I'm watching through with my girlfriend. She's already. This is her fourth time watching through it, but she's kind enough to just go through it with me, you know? Uh-huh. And so, yeah, we saw you, saw your episode, then we were watching it last week, and then who do I see is your good friend, Eddie Furs. Edward Furs, he gets around, yes. Got to give a shout-out to Eddie. Yeah. But he's also, he's in the documentary we did, the Here Goes the Neighborhood about Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Yeah, we got a lot Eddie's of positive. Eddie's in that with me, and he, we did. we worked very well together. Uh, you know, we got a lot of positive comments on that video about Greenpoint, but then somebody accused us of uh, Russophobia and Serbophobia because we we apparently talk um, about anti-Russian and anti-Serbian things when we're discussing Polish history. Well, that uh, that was Eddie. Eddie's Polish. Yeah. His father fought in the Polish army. And I don't really recall we said anything really bad about the Russians. No. No, no, no. He was just stating some facts. I think it's, yeah. it's the internet and people get sensitive. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really. No, Eddie's, Eddie's a professional. 
he knows better than that. As a matter of fact, uh, Eddie has a catering. He, well, he used to have a catering company, Captain's Courageous, and he hired a lot of Russians. He had a lot of Russians working for him. So Eddie, Eddie's not that kind of guy. I just thought I think, he got, I think he got. I think he got a kick out of being the boss over the Russians. No, I don't. Yeah, but uh, no. Well, you know. Yeah, but people online they do. They get very sensitive, and uh, I think some people just like to post uh, negative comments. Well, like, what else are you gonna do these days, right? <laughs> yeah, really. Well, you could post positive comments. I do that all the time. Yeah, but if you start a fight with somebody online, that could—that's your whole day right there. Yeah, true. Now, uh, with some people that have nothing better to do. But no, most of the videos I got up there got positive comments. Of course, every now and then you get—you know—I remember one of my comedy, uh, uh, my comedy. I got a couple of comedy videos where I'm just doing comedy, and I'm doing it as that Muzzy character uh, in the red jacket. Yeah. And I remember I got one comment. Somebody just put, "What a douche." <laughs> yeah i just laugh at that stuff you know hey listen everybody's entitled to their opinion yeah absolutely and opinions are just like assholes everyone has one exactly <laughs> well i guess we uh i guess we did the podcast yeah i think this is a good uh i'm gonna go back and listen to it later and maybe do a little well, you're real good at editing and stuff so you know i know when we do so when i do something with craig friedman I know it's in good hands. Thank you, Vic. I told you honestly. I, you know, I've been asked to do this kind of thing, seriously, with uh, guys like from Facebook and all. Uh, you know, that know I'm a performer and uh, have podcasts. There's this one guy had a podcast, wanted me to come on as a guest, and I said, no, nah, I really, you know, I don't feel comfortable talking about myself. And so, you know, but when you said you were going to do it, I said, oh, you know, for my good friend Craig Friedman, I'm there for you. Nice. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. I think this would be a cool platform for you to just share some stories from your past and even some things that, you know, you might not think are that interesting. Like my audience at large might actually find pretty intriguing just about being an original New Yorker just because, you know, it's kind of uh, it's pretty much disappearing. All yeah, the other. I know. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, New York used to be a place for live venues and all throughout, oh, the 80s and 90s. When I first started in the 80s, uh, the 80s, I call my learning what not to do years. You know, I was falling on my face, making mistakes. And then the 90s, I really started working. I got really good. But yeah, you had all the clubs and all the venues. And uh, uh, really what killed that was 9-11. Yeah. That really put a big dent in it. You know, I was still getting work up until, like I said, my last gig was uh, New Year's Eve 2012. Uh, but yeah, I see the change. It's, uh, I kind of feel sorry for performers coming along now because they don't have all the venues like we did, but now, you know, you've got the opportunities online, which I didn't have. Mm -hmm. And like a lot of my, a lot of the performances that I did in Atlantic city and all are, are lost because we didn't have the technology then like the cell phones with these great cameras connected to them. Mm hmm. You know, you had to, like, set up a tripod, set up a camera, have somebody, you know, standing by so somebody didn't knock it over. So I just didn't want to deal with that, you know. I didn't want it to get in the way of my performing. Plus, performing for a live audience and performing for a camera are two different things. But now, you know, you got such good equipment, you know, the technology. Just on a cell phone, you can make a movie, practically. 
Yeah. So the advantage people have now is they got the technology aspect. They could do things online and promote themselves that way. So I guess it all evens out in the end, you know? Yeah. I guess so. Is there anything you've been doing during the pandemic to kind of keep yourself occupied or keep yourself sane? Uh, well, I post a lot of stuff. I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do in the process of going through stuff, I want to get some of the stuff I've done that I do have on video and get it, uh, transfer it to, uh, you know, DVD or to, uh, what do you call those drives? Um, flash drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flash yeah. Drive. To, so that I could put them online and, uh, some in the process of trying to sort through things. And that's how I came up with that Regis picture. You know, I'm going through stuff and it's bringing back some good memories. And, uh, I figure, Hey, what the hell I got them. I might as well use them and post them. Yeah. You know, some people think you're bragging. It's like, no, it's got nothing to do with that. This is just, uh, 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 uh preserving your, your memories, you know? Yeah. It actually happened. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, why not? Maybe I'm too modest. That might have been a problem, too, with in promoting my career. I was a little too... Uh, well, I wasn't always modest, to be honest with you. You know, there was a time I was pretty much of a... I wouldn't say an egomaniac, but, uh, you know, I, I calmed down as the years went on. I do have stories to tell. There were gangsters involved, women. Yeah, there were some things uh, I could talk about. And you, and you should. Head. You know, there there's stories I could tell. <laughs> so maybe one day we'll do that. But I guess this is good now for a start. Yeah. Yeah, we're just testing the waters. All right, Craig, well, it was good talking to you. I'm glad we did this, and I hope you're hanging in there, and uh, let's hope for the best yeah. for all our sakes, and hope this uh, this uh, what we're, this madness we're going through comes to an end soon. Well, we got to lean on our creativity to pull us through. Exactly. All right, Craig, well, it's always good to hear from you, and anytime you need me, I'm there in your corner. All right, thanks, Vic. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get on the phone again real soon. All right, buddy. All right, Take man. Now. All right, bye. bye. Hey, Craig, listen, I got an idea. I think it's a good one. This song will be perfect to end the podcast with. That's Life. Me singing That's Life off my CD. You could just record it onto the end there. Yeah, I'm telling you, when you hear it, you'll you'll know what I mean. Be a perfect song to end the podcast with. That's life.